so excited about this morning. I'm going to be starting a, a brand new series that God has just been bubbling up in my heart. I don't even know how it's all going to uh, come together yet, but that's okay. God does. And if I did, then it, it would be mine and, and not his. So I believe God's going to do that. I was <clears throat> watching a, a uh, sort of a news broadcast, and there's something that was said that just made me stop and think, wait, what? Why did, why did he say that? Not that what he said was wrong. This man, what he said was, why am I the one? Why am I the one? You got to know the story of why he would say that because what he was saying was that uh, he was on the subway. He was in a car and it was moved along and, and all of a sudden some, a bunch of teenagers started to just pound and beat up an old man on the other side of the cart. And no one did anything. No one said anything. No one didn't want to get involved. And so he, finally he said, hey, don't do that. Don't beat up this man, <laughs> which is the right thing to say. Which then they got up and said, okay, we won't, which is sort of surprising. We're going to beat you up. <laughs> So they came over there, and they just pounded him. And, and you saw him on the camera, and he was he, he's, he's all beat up. He's a Fox News weatherman. And he said, why am I the one to stop this? Why am I the one that has to make a difference? Why am I the one that's on this court? Why isn't there someone else? And actually, I see his point. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. But as he said that, something in my spirit be, began to stir. And I think, how easy is it? For us to say the same thing. Why am I the one that has to go through this? Why am I the one that has to deal with this? Why am I the one dealing with this struggle? Why am I going through, through all of this? And the message this morning is simply on that question. Applying it into our lives. Why am I the one that has to face this? <laughs> so this morning we're, we're starting a whole series called the Steel and Stones. And you say, well, Greg, what is that all about? And both that, steel and stone, is a metaphor to understand the power that God wants us to build with. The anointing, the, the, the spirit-enabling aspect of what God is trying to do in our life. We are building. We're building our lives. We're building our family. We're building this church. We're building. We build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation. But you are building. And what we build with makes a difference. So I believe God wants us to build it with steel. Steel, if you, if you look it up, is, it, is mainly iron. But what makes it stronger than iron are the other components. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. So we're, we're, it's about being strong. It's about steel. And it's about stone. Because the Bible says that when you build, Paul was saying, if you build with gold or silver or precious stones or you might build with wood you might build with hay you might build with uh straw all of that in the end is going to be thrown into the fire what remains is and what doesn't get burned burn up is what we carry with us into eternity you will carry something with you to, into eternity and i when i saw that and thought about the precious stones, it just reminded me of we need the courage, we need the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we also need the kindness, the mercy, the understanding, the precious 
stones, the acts of love that we do for one another, that we care for one another. So we're going to talk about what that means. How are we going to learn how to build our life, our family, our children, our church, our, 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 our people around us of steel and stone? How are we going to do that? How has all this come together? You know, in one of the, the first uh, book, Christian book that was written <laughs> was the book of, of or the letter of 1 Thessalonians. It was the very first one. If you put them in chronological order, it was before any of the Gospels. And it was Paul writing to the, first, uh, to the Thessalonica church, <laughs> telling them. So the first things that were said, the first interpretation or understanding that was written down of, of anything that deals with Christianity was written to the church. It was written to, to you and us. And it was written to this church at Thessalonica, and Paul loved this church. <laughs> because of all the churches that he built, this one excelled. This one was he was most proud of. It was amazing. This really was a church of steel and stone, a precious stone. This was, this was an amazing church and what they did and what they believed. And just, it, he was just so proud, especially since he probably only had about a month to plant this church. Imagine that. Imagine coming and you're attending a church. It's a church plant, and, and the pastor says, I got one month. <laughs> Just one month, and that's it. And then I'm on, out of here, and you got to grow. And you gotta... So it's incredible. How did this church do that? How did these people, how did these believers go from, from people that didn't believe in God at all <laughs> or didn't have any understanding of Christianity because, you know, there was no other foundation there of Christianity. This was brand new. This was in Asia Minor. And most of these were uh, 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 Greeks or Gentiles that had never even heard of Jesus at all. And all of a sudden, in a month, they have turned into a powerhouse church of steel and stone. How many, how many want to build with steel and stone? That's, I believe, with all my heart, what God's calling us to. And this is what we're going to talk about for the next month. Really get into uh, the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Understand, how do we do that in our life? Because letters that Paul wrote wasn't just meant to, oh, that's nice history. No, it's, it matters in us. In fact, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Look at this. I sort of condensed it down just so we can understand the gist of that, all of these verses. But he says that our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, came to you with power. It came to you with steel. It came to you with courage, and you took it. The Holy Conviction, uh, the Holy Spirit and deep conviction... That's incredible. You became imitators. You became a model to all the believers. So not only did they begin in their church to build with steel and stone, but they adopted and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live like Paul. And Paul says, I follow Christ and you follow me. So I'm going to be imitators of that. In other words, they adopted wholesale. And not only that, they became such imitators that they spread the gospel to all the believers in the whole area. They became uh, something that was actually sending out the, uh, the, the, the gospel to everyone. Wow. Okay. Okay. Remember? Three, four weeks max. And how did this happen? What did they do? What did they see? What did they experience? What did they believe to see such growth, such strength, such power? And I believe God wants us to understand that. How do we build a church of steel and stones? How do we build our lives, 
a Christian walk, a family that loves God, that is moving in that power, but at the same time understands the precious stones, the, the mercy of God. And I believe all of that comes, and we're going to start this morning by how you answer that question. Why am I the one? Why am I the one? So this morning, in the series of Steel and Stone, we're going to talk about you're the one. <laughs> now, at first, we're real uncomfortable with that. Me? I, no, no, not me. I, I can't do that. I, I'm, I can't be there. I, that's not me. Or I barely understand the Bible at all. No, no, no. You have to understand. You're the one. You're, you're it. You're the one. <laughs> And you say, and it's easy for us to reflect and say, God, I'm not very good at this, and I'm weak here, and I sin here, and I fail here, and I struggle here, and why do all these things happen to me? God wants you to know that you're the one. Because it's easy to ask, why am I the one, and miss everything that God's doing. That's what God wants in your life. So the story starts in, in uh, Acts. So we won't even get to uh, Thessalonians in, until uh, Next week, we start to get in, in chapter 1 to really understand how we can live this as well. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul had just traveled with Silas 100 miles walking from where he was before and planting churches. And then he, he walks all the way to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a big port city. It was a free city, which means that the, uh, it was ruled by the people themselves. They had a council o- over them. It was, a, it was a huge, very large city. I think they, they estimated around 200,000 people lived in this city. So not a little small place, okay? So Paul and Silas gets there, and the first thing they do, it says in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 and such, he says that they started, he immediately went to the synagogue. So maybe he was there a week or two, and then he went to speak in the synagogues. Because that was the method, to let the, 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 the Jewish nation know that the Messiah had come. So he, he does this for about three weeks and has the most amazing response, incredible response. It says some of the Jews actually believed. It says quite a few, quite a few of the, uh, the, the Greeks or the Gentiles in that city, they believed, and, and a large number of prominent women now, uh, Lucas, when he, he writes Acts, he just loves to include that because you've got to understand the culture and what, what's going on here. You see, these prominent women were basically business women, very successful business women that were running the whole, the whole city. And in these business women, to be connected to the city means they were connected to the idol because the idol is what brought prosperity to their business. <laughs> And so what happens is they were very much uh, idol worshipers, and they would worship these idols, and they would to make sure that their business prospers. And so for them to come in, for them to actually say, hey, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of this church. I'm going to be part of what God is doing here in such, which is incredible. It was amazing. So much so that they're, all of a sudden there started to be some really pushback by the religious leader in the synagogue. Not so much because they were saying, why, 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 why is uh, 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 that Jesus the Messiah? They, they weren't pushing back against that. They were jealous. They were jealous. <laughs> it, it's really interesting that uh, the first attack that we begin to see in churches is inside. God always tries to bring division. He always tries to pit one or the other. 
And usually jealousy is a, is a, is a, a key aspect of it. Or it could be all kinds of things. Just to push one against the other. And why does that happen? And why does he get to be up there? And why am I not doing that? And all that. It's just, it's just what the, the enemy does. And they, these religious leaders stirred up the people and went to the, it says it went to and got some, some bad character people. Basically, people just sitting around and have a job and said, hey, I'm, I'm ready for a fight. And they went to attack Paul and Silas because... They wanted to stop it. They wanted to stop all this because it was bad for business. These women were, uh, were uh, business leaders were rejecting the idol now. This was a mess. So they were furious. So they, so they went <laughs> to attack Paul and Silas, but God had protected them. You got to stay with me here because this is when this story just turns crazy because Paul and Silas left. They were gone. God protected them and said, hey, you got to get out of there. This doesn't look good. God, God put it on their hearts to leave. <laughs> but the people were still there. The believers, the church was still there. And sometimes you need to understand that the cost always gets passed around. The cost does. And sometimes we want to protect people of the cost and say, I don't want you to have any cost, but you have any cost. But you need to understand when it comes to the gospel, God understands and God is working through every single situation. So, Look what it says in, seven, in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 17. It says, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, the council that's ruling the, the city. And he says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world literally says they have turned the world upside down. And Jason, who welcomed them into his house. So it was a house church. And Jason had welcomed them, and the church was meeting there, saying, there is another king, one called Jesus. Now, got to get them what the message is here. Don't get lost in text, and don't get lost in rules and all that when everything it always comes back down to who's your king. And what we're preaching is who's the king. And what we're, what we're helping people understand is that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Lord. And we need to surrender and give our lives and our hearts to him so that he can wash us away from the sin and the stain that's in us. That's what it's all about. That's the story. That's what it's always about. And that's what they were doing. And as they did that, then the, the, what happened was that Jason was attacked. And the other believers, Paul and Silas, well, they were gone. <laughs> doesn't seem quite fair, does it? But God was doing something. Because, and I think, I think there was a moment that probably Jason's going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, why am I the one? <laughs> why am I the one to take this? Where's Paul? He stirs us up, he preaches us, he gets us saved, he moves on. And then all of a sudden the persecution comes. Hey, does this seem fair? Does this seem right? But God was building a church of steel and stone. And somewhere in there, Jason had to say, hey, I'm the one. They threatened him with the, his, his very life, his household. I mean, the, this, they weren't playing around because of, there, was, there was money at stake here. And how we know there was money because the first real cost, the first, what really cost them of these new believers was financial, was the money, which lets you know this is what the world really values. And this is, this is the, the cost that they said, you're going to have to pay us money. We're gonna... So what does Jason do? How does Jason respond? Does Jason pay this? 
Because Jason say, hey, I barely knew the man. <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm working, I'm doing my thing. Uh, a lot of people believe that he was a similar uh, um, artist like uh, Paul, builders and things like that, making tents. And maybe that's how they met. And Paul shared the gospel and he says, hey, this sounds like, this sounds pretty good. And it always does until later on you realize, but wait, there's a cost? <laughs> there's a cost to this? You're the one. You're the one. But you see, if we're going to build a family of steel and stone, if we're going to change lives, if we're going to see people come and give their life to Jesus Christ, if we're going to teach the message of the king, then we have to pay the cost. We have to be willing to say, God, I'll do it. Because you see, we have to live upside down to the world. We're live, you're actually living right side up. But unless you're willing to live right side up in an upside down world, you'll never touch them. You'll never build from steel and stone. Because the world says, that is wrong, that's backwards. You give all your money to the church, you do this, you give all your time, you serve. And they don't understand, of course they don't. They're the world. They're living upside down. But unless we're willing to say, you're upside down. <laughs> you see, so much, you know, they don't mind that we live upside down to them. They don't mind that. But when we tell them they're upside down, hmm, that's when they don't like it. You know, that's, that's not healthy for the Bible says that's sin. Ah, don't you tell me what's right, don't you? Because we decide what's right. And so the, what they have done in our whole world is they have taken everything that's right and made it wrong. And everything that is wrong and made it right. Now, that's our world. <laughs> that's, that's where we live. That, it's no different than 2,000 years ago with the church of Thessalonica. It's all the same. It's the same world. You know, we, we think it's so much worse. And yeah, in and, and some things, collectively, it will be at the end of the age. But I'm telling you, this is the same thing they, that the early church dealt with. This is, what they, this is what Jason had to deal with. And he had to be willing to say, man, I've known you for years and I love you, but you're upside down. <laughs> That's not the way that you're going to find life. That's not the way you're going to find hope. You see, Jason welcomed Paul in. Started a house church, welcomed the gospel, but there was a cost. And you see, I think sometimes as we, Jesus teaches about the cost all the time, but we just don't like to read that part of the scripture. That's really uncomfortable. But when we understand, but if I want to be strong, if I want to build a family that will change the world, if I want to build my life, if I want to build have the character, if I want to have a church that changes the world, then we have to build of steel and stone. And it begins by understanding it starts with me. It starts with me. Paul planted the gospel. Paul taught him, but then he left. The church thrived in Thessalonica after Paul was gone because somebody said, I'm the one. And that one spread to other people that said, I'm the one. That's how we build church. That's how we build uh, life around us. That's how we change the world. And you might wonder, how do I do that, Greg? I, I, how, do I, how do I have that uh, when the cost seems high to me? And the cost is all different. I remember as a young man saying, God, these old people, they all do this, but you're telling me I can't? You're telling me don't do that? That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> I want to do what they do. <laughs> They're all good. They're all Christians. They all love you. And then it's all okay, and you're asking me to do this? It's, it's always a personal. The cost is always personal. It's always about what is God laying on your heart and what, is, what are you doing? That's how we become a church of steel, 
stone. That's how we become people of steel, of, of everything that God's trying to do in our life. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories. And father's driving down the road, and he has his son with him in the car. Now, his son is deathly allergic to bee stings. I mean, one more, and that's it. There's, 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 no, there's no margins there. And they know that, and they take cautions and everything. But they're in the car. They didn't have an EpiPen or something. The bee flies in. The boy freaks, as he should. <laughs> That's the way they, you know, somebody's got to rem- know, I, you know, if this bee stings me, it is over. So he freaks out. The father's very concerned, but he's driving. It's, do I stop? Do I go? What do I do? He's watching. <laughs> he tries to pull the sun close. The bee is flying right around there. It's a wasp. So the father does the only thing he can. He just reaches out his hand, and with cat-like reflexes, the boy was amazed. He takes it. And actually catches the wasp in his hand. Squeezes it. Crushes it. The boy is still totally freaked out. The father said, it's all good, son. Don't worry. You have nothing to worry about anymore. You see? The sting is still in my hand. You see the mark? It's still there. It's okay. And that's what the father did to us. The Father took the sting of sin and death. We're all sinners, saved by grace. We're all fall short. Nobody, nobody in here is perfect, starting with me. Nobody. We try to do right, we try to do that. But then you say, God, how can I be a disciple of steel and stone? How can I do that? You have to understand what God has done. He's made a way. He has the scars in his hand to prove it. He took the sting of sin and death and said, I have enabled you. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Are you listening to the world that says, you're not good enough? You're a terrible father. You're a terrible uh, employer or employee. You don't, you don't do this very good. You're not a good Christian. Do you listen to that? Because, you know, they're measuring everything by what's upside down. <laughs> or do we hear the father who says, no, 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 no. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let me empower you. Let me strengthen you. You see, Jesus did that with his disciples. He turned a bunch of fearful, (laughs) doubt-filled men into and women into disciples that changed the world. How did he do that? How did he do that? Because he was able to take people from what they were to make them into what they need to be. And that's what he's going to do with you. And that's what it means to understand that you're the one. You see, Jason was surrounded, I believe, by watchers. He was most certainly surrounded by watchers. People that were in the church (laughs) and say, oh, that's awful. They're just watching from a distance. They weren't the ones when when uh, when when they ran in, you know, to to grab Jason. It, he he was there, and they grabbed him. They pulled out, and there was people there were just watching and just saying, "Well, oh man, that's just bad for Jason. Too bad." You know, I was going to have it in my house next week, but probably not more. They're just the watchers, and it, you see, we need to understand that watchers, even watchers, can become the one. Because God loves watchers. 
Watchers are, are, are unique. <laughs> See, the problem uh, with, with watchers is, that, is they, don't, they don't have a lot of courage. They don't mind being around. They don't like being there. They don't like, you know, this feels exciting. But watchers are those that lack courage. They're not willing to uh, use their faith to stand up. I love the Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Look what it says. It says that, they, they, that some women were watching from a distance at the cross. That's their Messiah. That's the one they swore to serve. That's the one they swore they would live. And, and they were watching. They weren't, they, they weren't too close, <laughs> but they weren't too far. They were just watching. Just watching. I mean, to say anything would be death right there, right? That's what it seemed like. That's what it, it, would, it would be. So they're just watching. They don't want to get too far. They don't want to get too close. And that's what watchers are. See, watchers are consumed with the present. Oh, right now. I, it's not a good time right now. It's, it, it, I'm dealing with some stuff right now. I'm, I got some things. And so they always put off tomorrow. Watchers always put off. Have you ever maybe growing up or something, you're on the sideline and you're watching the kids play and you, you want to be a part of it? You want to play with them? You want to join in? <laughs> but you don't know them or you can or, or whatever reason. And then someone stands up and says, hey, why don't you come? Ah, boy, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on. And invite you in, and then it's all good. It's all okay. And that's what Jesus does. He takes us in our sin, in our failure, in our weakness, where we are not stable, and we are certainly not precious stones because of our actions. And he turns us and turns us around. We watch from the distance, and you say, is there something for me? Can I do this? Can I really live up to this? Can I act this way? And Jesus calls the watchers. And Jesus says, I have some steel for you. <laughs> I have some stone for you. I can turn things around. I can, I can, I can make it, but even though you're, you're not willing and you feel like you don't have the courage, you can trust me. I love that. I love that. But I, I think there wasn't only watchers there. There most certainly was. They were all watching when they dragged him out. I think there was also um, what I call runners. <laughs> and runners can become the one as well. Hey, I, I don't know, Greg. I, that, that seems so hard. So when they came into Jason's house, <laughs> they didn't catch him because he tripped. <laughs> They didn't, they didn't catch him. You know how they say. He says, you don't have to be fast, just faster than the other person. <laughs> they, he wasn't the slowest person. He knew he was the one. He says, I'm going to be here. But there were others that most certainly ran. There are always people that run. You see, runners have a hard time with any kind of change. They don't, they don't, they don't like change. They like their own little world the way, the way it is. And they just want to stay right here. Matthew 26, verse 56. It says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. They ran. Every one of them ran. And if you're looking at your life and you're saying, Man, I don't know. I can't do this commitment. It seems too much. I'm good here. I'm good there. But, man, it's just, it's just too much. And it's easy to run. I think about runners. 
I think about someone that says, man, I wish I could, but I'm just not willing to commit. But steel and stone comes from when we said, I'm the one. I'm going to stay. I'm the one that's going to commit. God, I, I, I'll serve you as long as my schedule works out. <laughs> no promises, though. Jesus turns runners to reapers of harvest. He'll turn your fear, your doubt, your worry into something that is an amazing harvest because he calls us, he invites us and says, come on. I know the first thing you won't like to do is run. But if we're going to build a church, if we're going to build families, if we're going to build lives of steel and stone, it means we're going to say, God, I'm willing to stand in the harvest. <laughs> Even though the field is great and the workers are few, I'll be there. I'll be the one. I'll be the one that shares. I'll be the one that gives hope to someone. I'll, I'll be the one. You're the one. The church of Thessalonica was built because somebody, and then eventually many, said, I'm the one. I'll do that. God can trust me. Did all the disciples that ran that day, because that was in the garden, every one of them returned. <laughs> we read that, but they all ran, and we go, oh, stupid disciples. They all came back. God enabled them to come back. God encourages them to come back. But there's one more group. You have the watchers. They can become the one. You have the runners. But you also have even the deniers. They can become the one. They, they can become a part of what God uses to turn a life around. It's, it's easy to do all that and to look at all that. But you see, the deniers, what they have a hard time with is ultimately the cost. The cost seems like it's too much. They're okay with crowds, but when you get them alone, and sometimes we might feel this way. He says, I'm, I'm here at the church and I have so much faith and, oh, you know, that's really exciting. And then I go home and then I go into my house and to my room and I'm alone and I'm thinking, oh, man. There's something inside of us, the enemy, that is upside down saying, no, no, you can't and you won't and it won't happen. And it, and it grabs us and tries to turn us back around into the wrong thinking. Deniers love crowds. But when you get them all alone, and that was Peter. Now, people beat up on Thomas because Thomas denied. and says, unless I see God's hands and, you know, and so, oh, doubting Thomas. But no one ever says denying Peter. But he denied when he was all alone and there was no other disciples and he didn't have to be the leader and, and be strong. And a little girl was standing there saying, hey, aren't you one of them? And he says, I'm not and brought down curses on himself. And denied. You see, deniers are trapped with a cycle of failure. And I think Peter felt that way. He said, I said you were the Christ. And then I immediately started listening to the enemy. And this, re this I, I walked on water and then I sank. And I think that echoed. In Peter, he says, I, this cycle of failure is always there. I, I said I would never deny you. And then I denied you right there. As you were being tried, right there I denied 
They're trapped by this. And deniers then go back to where they think they're comfortable. That's what Peter said. Peter said, I'm going fishing after the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead. And they knew that he rose from the dead. They didn't really understand it yet. He says, I'm going fishing. John 21, I'm going fishing. Jesus had called him away from fishing. (laughs) And now you're going fishing? (laughs) No. (laughs) But that's what deniers do. But God found Peter. Jesus knelt next to Peter. He said, I know you deny me, and restored him back. Why? So Peter could be the one. And a little bit later on, when he says, well, what about John? Jesus said, no, 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 you're the one. You're the one. And when we begin to own that and begin to understand that and be willing to live upside down or right side up in an upside down world, God, build that stone in me. Build that steel of your courage and your spirit inside of me. When Jared was just a little boy, wee little lass, he spilled some milk. And then very uncharacteristically, just ran upstairs and denied that he even did it. And there's the milk. And he's, he's the only one around. <laughs> it, Justin was, you know, just a baby. So Justin, I didn't do it. <laughs> Jared, Jared, come on down there. I didn't do it, Dad. <laughs> I said, don't cry or spill milk. No, I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. I said, come down here. Spill milk all over the place. And I said, Jared. He said, oh, no. I said, well, go ahead and clean it up. And then, you know, sometimes as a father, God just intervenes for you and helps you not do stupid stuff and you do good stuff. It's nothing that I am a great father. I just, all of a sudden, I just thought, okay. So I, I got on my knees. And on my knees, I just began to help. And I began to clean up Jared's mess. And he worked, we worked together on the floor, cleaning up his mess. And that's what Jesus did. He got down on his knees <laughs> to clean up my mess. He gets down on his knees to clean up yours. If we're willing to say, God, come into my life. He changes deniers into flippers. A flipper is someone who turns the world upside down. Turns them right side up. That's what he did with Peter. Changed the world. Why? Because he began to understand, I'm the one. That's unlike a church. I cannot wait to get into it, to talk about everything that God has do, did with that and how we can do the same thing. You know where that comes from? That comes from Jason starting to say, I'm the one. My house. I'll pay the cost. I'll do what it takes. And God will use me. And the, the city of Thessalonica was permanently changed because of that church. And I believe with all of my heart, as we step up and say, God, build your courage in me. Build your kindness and your mercy, those precious stones in me. You will build a family, a church, a world around you that will turn everybody from upside down to right side up. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now at this very precious moment, you see every single heart. You see where they're at. see where they're dealing with. Father, I pray that you would just move across us. 
God, if there's anything in our lives that's not right, we just surrender it to you right now. We just give you our heart, our mind, our soul. God, and we're willing to say, we're the one. We're the one. Because, God, we want you to build steel of your and courage and power of your Holy Spirit into our lives and the precious stones of works of kindness and goodness and mercy and life and hope in every single aspect of who we are. God, I pray that for this body, for this people, for, for this world, Father, that everyone that's watching, God, that you would penetrate their heart. And if anyone doesn't know you, Father, right now, let them pray. Father, forgive me. Remove the sin from me because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And we give you thanks for that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God is good, isn't he?